invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 7, and we look this morning at verses 15 through verse 23, where Jesus gives us a very clear warning to beware of false prophets. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth today. That you would help us, O God, to heed the warning that Jesus gives here to beware of false prophets. Guide us into your truth, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Many years ago, I spoke in a, a church in Bismarck, North Dakota. And I met a man there who told me, he said, here is what I do when the cults come to my door. So he said, when they knock on the door, he says to them, I have been expecting you. And they said, well, usually they'd say, why have you been expecting us? He said, I got a letter about you. A letter from who? A letter from God. A letter from God, yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, he said, in the last days, false prophets will come. And he said it was quite a way to begin our conversation. And most of them, he said, turned around and left, but there were a few that stayed, and he obviously sought to point them to Jesus. Well, since the day that sin came into the world, there have always been false prophets. And in fact, we could say that Satan really was the first false prophet because God had made it clear that the day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And Satan's response was to say, no, you won't die. You surely will not die. So he was the first false prophet. And he is the one who is the source of all teaching that is false. Jesus said that he is the father of lies. And so anytime you hear the truth of God's word, you can know that there is someone who is seeking to turn you away from that 
by giving you his lives. And there are all kinds of people in our world today that are listening, listening to the lies of the evil one that he portrays through those who are false prophets, false teachers who do not stand on the word of God. As we come closer to the day that Jesus comes again, we're going to see more of this. There will be more false teachers, false prophets. In fact, uh, Jesus' disciples, as Jesus was talking about the end of the time, he said, the disciples says, Lord, what, what are the signs of this? And Jesus gave many signs, like earthquakes in many places, pestilences and so forth. But one of the signs was false teaching. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Matthew 24, and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Chapter 24, verse 11 of Matthew, Many false prophets will arise, and will mislead many. That's a pretty clear warning, isn't it? And the closer we get to the day that Jesus comes again, the more of this we're going to see, and the more people are going to fall for it. Many will be deceived. And that's why we need, we need to be students of the Word. We, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know the truth so that when error comes our way, we recognize it right away, that there's something wrong here. My dad used to talk about a, a check in his spirit. Sometimes you might not be able to put your finger on it right away, but there is a check in your spirit that God is saying, there is something wrong here. And that's why we need to be well versed in the Word of God. You will never waste time spending it in the Word. <laughs> never. So Jesus tells us three things that we need to know about false prophets. The first thing he says is that false prophets are dangerous. In verse 15 he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are, what? Ravenous wolves. So when you see the word beware in Scripture, it's always a warning of danger. It's not just a call to notice something, but it is a call to be on guard against Something because it is harmful. And it's interesting, Jesus uses the picture of wolves because that was the most common enemy of sheep. They roamed the hills and valleys looking for a sheep that was, was away from the fold or, or perhaps lagging behind. And when a wolf found a sheep, a lamb, it was trouble because there was no way that that lamb was ever going to be able to overcome a wolf. Now, I don't know if you've ever been face to face with a wolf. I haven't. But my good friend from high school, his son was bow hunting. Now, they live not too far from the Black Bear Casino. Well, if you've seen that on Highway 33, as he head to Duluth, there's all kinds of trees and wilderness just north of that. And this friend of mine owns about, I don't know, I think it's 80 or 100 acres. And they do, they hunt there. And so his son, teenage boy, was sitting in a tree stand during bow hunting season. 
And all of a sudden he heard a little rustling and there were five, five timber wolves that were surrounding him in that tree stand. He did not have a gun. He had a bow. And if you are outnumbered five timber wolves to one man with just a bow, that is not a good situation. Thankfully, he had his cell phone, so he called his dad, and his dad came with his brother with rifles. <laughs> By the time they got there, the wolves were gone. But I'll tell you what, he said, my heart was beating very quickly, because that was a dangerous situation. Now, good thing he was up in a tree. Good thing wolves can't climb trees. But I'll tell you what, if that was me, I think this passage would have taken on new meaning <laughs> about Wolves. Jesus said false prophets are like wolves. And they seek to destroy the sheep, and they are much more dangerous than a wolf because a wolf can harm the body. False teachers, they deal with the soul, our eternal soul. One author says false prophets are more than wrong, they are dangerous. And we should not expose our minds to them. They pervert thinking and poison the soul. They are more dangerous than a cobra or a tiger because those animals can only harm the body. False prophets are spiritual beasts and are immeasurably more deadly than the physical ones. It's no wonder that Jesus says, beware. You need to watch out because these false prophets are very, very dangerous. Acts 20, Paul is speaking to the uh, elders of the church in Ephesus that he uses the same picture of wolves. In verse 29 of Acts 20, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. It almost sounds exactly like what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, beware. Paul says, be on the alert. Jesus said, ravenous wolves will be after you. Paul says, savage wolves will be after you. And he says, remember, Night and day for three years, I warned you. I admonished you, even with tears. Paul says the danger is so great because it comes from two directions. He says it comes, first of all, from outside the church. And, and that, that doesn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. That those outside of, of the kingdom of God are going to seek to come into the church and destroy the souls of men. But notice what Paul also says, the danger of false teaching can come from within the church. People that are known, people that are trusted, can become apostate. They, they can turn away from the truth to false teaching. 
I remember my dad saying how, how he mourned the thought that there were men that he went to seminary with back in the 1950s who turned away from Bible Christianity, no longer believed in the inspiration of Scripture, started teaching things that were false. Can you imagine in those congregations their pastor whom they trusted brought in to the, from within, brought a false teaching. Maybe this is why Jesus says in our text that there will be preachers who will not enter heaven. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? We were pastors. We preached. We even healed. We even cast out demons. And what, did, what does Jesus say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you imagine that day? There will be people who spoke from the pulpits of our church standing before God and Jesus will say, I do not know you. Pretty sober, isn't it? So the warning is pretty clear. And we need to be like the Berean Christians. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Luke says, that The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And Luke says that these people, were they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. They received the word with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And that was the preaching of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and they were going to check it out. Does this really fit with Scripture? I hope you do that. I hope you are committed to do that. Examining what you hear, what you read, compare it with the Word. Place the Word side by side with what you hear and say, does this match? If it doesn't, chuck it, reject it. For the sake of our souls, we need to because false prophets are dangerous. The second thing Jesus tells us is that false prophets are deceptive. The reason why false prophets are so dangerous is because false prophets are so deceptive. They have a way of fooling people. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 14, Paul says that they put on a disguise. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He says it's no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. So don't be surprised. This is the work of Satan. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and those who are his servants, they do the same thing. They disguise themselves. They are deceptive. And the picture that Jesus uses here in our text 
He says they come to you in sheep's clothing. I was thinking about that. It's like, well, do they dress up like sheep? (laughs) Uh, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. There's some Old Testament background here. One author says, in Old Testament times, prophets were often recognizable by what they wore, right? Elijah, remember how he dressed? Um, Uncomfortable, hairy clothing. And John the Baptist uh, wore camel's hair and had a great diet. uh, Grasshoppers and wild honey, just can't imagine that. There were exceptions, but prophets generally could be identified by their plain coarse clothing. This author says, for that reason, a person who wanted to impersonate a prophet would sometimes wear such clothing. Zechariah speaks of such men who put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 4. So a false prophet is not going to wear a badge that says, I am a false prophet. Look out, because my goal is to deceive you. And he will not drive in a car that says on the license plate, deceiver. That's not how they work. A false prophet doesn't want you to know that he is a false prophet. He wants you to think that he is a true prophet of God. He wants you to believe that God has sent him to you to proclaim his word. But Jesus says that these people aren't sent. He says they come to you. They have not been sent to you. They come to you. They are self-appointed. Self-appointed prophets. And we're warned about that in the Old Testament, especially Jeremiah. Jeremiah 14, 14, Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Jeremiah 23, verse 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. Chapter 23, verse 21, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. So false prophets are self-appointed. They're not called by God. They're not appointed by Him. They are self-appointed. And yet they want to make you think that they are proclaiming to you the message of God. One author says, false prophets are almost always pleasant and positive. They like to be with Christians. They like to talk like Christians. They want to be identified as Christians. They know and use biblical terminology and often appear highly knowledgeable about Scripture. The doctrines they affirm are seemingly biblical. Many false prophets also appear to be sincere, 
And because of that sincerity, they can more easily mislead others. It's interesting how they can use Bible terminology, and yet they mean something different by those terms. And so it sounds like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a biblical term, and it sounds so good, but there's something wrong with their teaching. Jesus said that inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Outwardly, they appear to be true, but inwardly there's a problem. So they are the very opposite on the inside of what they appear to be on the outside. Now, I found something really interesting I hadn't known before, but the word ravenous gives us a little hint about what the motives of the false teachers are. In several places, the word ravenous is translated swindler. Swindler. So, false teachers often deceitfully and mercifully ravage a person of his money and his possessions. They are in it for personal gain. And you can make money today in various ways, ministry-wise, for personal gain, with books and all this stuff, where people are in it for that reason. Peter describes these people in great detail in Second Peter chapter 2. The whole chapter almost deals with false teachers. And it's interesting how often he mentions their greed. Second Peter 2, 3, in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Verse 14, Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. Verse 15, Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. It's interesting how many times you have reference to greed in that section. So how many of them are in it for financial gain? And if you want an example of this, the prosperity preachers. You know what the prosperity gospel is? God wants you healthy, Wealthy and prosperous, right? And if you really follow their teaching that God is going to make you prosperous, He's going to make you wealthy, especially if you give to their ministry. (laughs) But guess who becomes the prosperous one? People are fooled into thinking, if I just send money into this ministry, I'm going to be wealthy. God is going to pour out His blessing on me because God promises that in His Word. And the money that's sent in gets who to be prosperous? The one who's asking you to send it in. Joel Osteen, pastor of the largest church in the U.S., is is a prosperity preacher. And according to one source I read, he lives in a $10.5 million house and has an estimated net worth, according to this source, of almost $100 million. It just blows your mind away, doesn't it? I mean, you think of it. And if you watch him, 
He's so smiley. He's so positive. So, you know, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you all this stuff. And you're, you know... So here's what he says in his book. And get the title, Your Best Life Now. That should put up a red flag. Because our best life is not now. When is our best life? In glory. Do we have any promise of an easy life? As you read the, the, the New Testament, do we have that promise? Hardly. That should be another red flag. So here's what he says. We have to conceive it on, on the inside before we're ever going to receive it on the outside. If you don't think you can have something good, then you never will. The barrier is in your mind. Your own wrong thinking can keep you from God's best. To experience God's immeasurable favor, you must rid yourself of that small-minded thinking and start expecting God's blessing, start anticipating promotion and supernatural increase. You must conceive it in your heart before you can receive it. In other words, you must make increase in your own thinking. Then God will bring those things to pass. Now, where in Scripture do you find that? If you just think it, then God, He has no other choice but to bless you. That's the stuff that people are latching on today because it sounds so good. Oh, I would like to be like Him. So successful, so wealthy. And that's called gospel. That has nothing to do with the gospel. It is nothing other than a warmed over heresy that we used to call the power of positive thinking. Remember Norman Vincent Peale? So you got to be old enough to remember him. How about Schuler, the one out in the Crystal Cathedral? Same thing, the power of, of positive thinking. I remember what Pastor Norheim said years ago. He said, the Apostle Paul is appealing, Norman Vincent Peale is appalling. Because that's, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that, that people swallow and think that God is here to make life easy for us, to make us prosper. Now, if false teachers are deceptive, how, how will we recognize them? How will we know who they are so we aren't deceived? Jesus tells us you will know them by what? Their fruits. He says, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad, bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So what are the fruits? Well, the first obvious fruit we've already mentioned is their teaching. A false prophet is called false because he teaches what is false. And the prophet Isaiah gives us some clear guidance on this. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. He says, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light in them. Again, you measure what they're saying. Does it, is it consistent with the word of God? The second fruit 
is their life. How do they live their lives? And this is very clear as you examine Peter's long description of false teachers in 2 Peter 2. Let me give you some of the lists he mentions. They are sensual, greedy, unprincipled, ungodly, self-willed. And eventually these things will become evident because false teaching inevitably leads to Ungodly living. The two go hand in hand. You can only hide so long, false teachers. Eventually, it's going to come out in various ways. And that's why Paul challenged Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in these two ways, his doctrine and his life. 1 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Prescribe And teach these things. There's teaching. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, and here's living, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to, here's teaching, the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. And then he says this, Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Why would Paul say those things other than that's the fruit? (laughs) What are you teaching and how are you living? Does that mean a pastor, a teacher is going to live perfectly? No. But there must be some consistency, some above reproach. And Jesus says, here's how you tell. You can tell by the fruit, by the fruit of their life. If someone is teaching or living in a way that is inconsistent with the Word of God, Jesus said, turn away. Turn away. Don't let that poison your soul. So false prophets are dangerous. They are deceptive. Thirdly, I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but false prophets are desired. People want false prophets. In spite of what Jesus says about the danger and deception, there has always been a market for false teachers, and there always will be. Do you know why? It is because many people do not want to hear the truth. Have you found that to be true? In various areas of life, they do not want to hear the truth. They've already made up their mind about something, and they don't want to be confused with the facts, right? And that's you can see that in many areas of life. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 says, For this is a rebellious people, false sons, Sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Now listen to this. Who say to the seers, in other words for prophets, you must not see visions. And to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. (laughs) We don't want to hear it. Speak to us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. And notice this, get out of the way. 
Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. If that does not describe our day, I don't know what is. You Christians just get out of our way. We don't want to hear it anymore. And we'll silence you. It's happening, isn't it? We don't want to hear this. The Holy One of Israel, the holiness of God. We don't want to hear that. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30. Jeremiah says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. What is that? The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it. What? The prophets prophesy falsely and my people love it. How on earth, how on earth could that be? And if you think that that was just a problem in Isaiah's day, in Jeremiah's day, listen to Second Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, Paul is saying that the time will come. From his day, he's saying there is going to come a time that this is what it's going to be like. Are we there? Are we approaching that time? Are we getting to the place when, when people just want to be told uh, what is smooth and, and, and easy and none of this, you know, thus saith the Lord, no law, just, just tell us that God loves everyone and, and nobody will ever be judged. It appears to me that that is where we are at today and it's, it's only going to get worse. And that's why we need to stand upon the Word, right? Because if you look at the beginning of that section, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God who is going to judge the living and the dead in view of His appearing in His kingdom. Here's the charge I give you. You need to preach the Word, Timothy. So that's the urgency, right? Because Jesus is coming again. We confess that in our our creed every Sunday, that Jesus is coming again. And that's why it's urgent that we proclaim the truth even if people do not want to hear it. He says, be ready. In season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it isn't. When you're applauded and when you're not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. More than ever before, we need to be people who bow under the authority of the Word of God. We don't stand above the Word and judge it and say, well, I don't believe that or I don't believe that. We bow under the authority of God's inspired Word. Martin Anderson The adult class manual says, Because the Bible is inspired by God, 
It is the supreme authority in all matters of faith and life. All doctrines as well as in our conduct must be tested by it and be in accord with it. Any doctrine that is not in full accord with the teachings of the Bible must be rejected. And anything in life and conduct which is contrary to the Bible is evil and must be opposed. The Bible is the supreme authority in all of these matters. I trust you'll take your stand on that. That you bow to the authority of the Word of God. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You've heard that before? I like Eldon Nelson's one. He said, God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. (laughs) Many don't believe it. But God said it. That settles it. It, it, It's going to happen whether you believe it or not. And that's where we bow under the authority of God's Word. I remember back in the 60s when there was liberalism that was coming into the church already and my dad took a stand for that. He was ridiculed by other pastors in the community. And guess what they called him? They called him a biblicist. Have you heard that term? In their mind, that was a negative thing. You are a biblicist. What does that mean? You believe the Bible. That's a badge of honor. Call me a biblicist. Believe the Bible. So that's where we stand. We need to be aware of what's going on in the culture today. We need to stand on the Word. We bow before the authority of Scripture. All doctrine, all practice, if it is not consistent with the Word of God, we turn away from it. Because if we don't, it's like poison to our soul. We start taking in false teaching. It is poison to our soul. May we stand. Like Luther said, I, can, I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. Stand on the truth of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us in the day in which we live to boldly stand upon Your Word. We believe that Your Word is truth from Genesis to Revelation. Your inspired and errant Word of God. So, Father, give us courage to proclaim it. Give us courage to believe it, stand on it, and allow that Word to transform our lives. Thank You, Jesus for all that you've done for us. For we pray in your name. Amen.